All the research has shown that companies that are more diverse are 36% more likely to have greater financial turns, more innovation, and that as we start to combine gender and racial diversity, uh, it accounts for 48% better financial performance. And so we know that, you know, as we look at kind of younger job seekers as well, that DI is something that is uh, increasingly important. And when we start to look at Gen Z, 83% of Gen Z candidates said a company's commitment to diversity and inclusion is one of the most important things they look at when choosing an employer. So I think uh, it's really important that organizations realize that having a strong DI program is essential to hiring and retaining top talent. Welcome to Inclusion and Marketing, the show that's all about helping you uncover the skills and insights you need to win the attention, adoration, and loyalty of more consumers, especially those with differences that are often ignored by brands. I'm your host, Sonia Thompson, an inclusive brand coach, strategist, consultant, and someone with a lot of differences. Let's get to it. Okay, I've got another podcast recommendation for you. It's Latinx in Power, hosted by Thaisa Fernandez. It's brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. This podcast features interviews with top-level executives, entrepreneurs, and innovators from Latin America, aiming to demystify the tech industry by providing listeners with insider perspectives and insight from Latin American leaders who have succeeded in their fields. I like listening to this podcast because I like hearing from a broad diversity of voices and hearing from and learning from their experiences. One episode I'm super excited to dive into is the latest one, Lead Generation Journey with Glenville Dixon Jr. Listen to Latinx Empower wherever you get your podcasts. It's no secret that many companies struggle with diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, and how to make stated commitments live values that translate into an inclusive culture where everyone on the team feels like they belong. There are a number of reasons why brands struggle with this. And to help tackle this topic, I wanted to bring in someone who's in the trenches day in and day out helping brands solve this problem. So I sat down with Mandy Price, CEO and co-founder of Canaries, a technology company focused on providing the tools organizations need to create long-term systemic change around challenges associated with diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Fun fact about Mandy, we've talked before on this show about the disparity for women receiving venture capital funding. Tune in to episode 45 if you want to hear more on that topic. That's titled Factors That Influence Your Customer Success You Need to Be Aware Of. So anyway, the gulf in who gets funding grows even wider when you look at Black women who only receive 0.06% of all funds allocated. That's like a very small number. Mandy has been able to raise $10.5 million in VC funding for Canaries, making her one of less than 20 Black female founders who raised more than $10 million in VC funding. Bravo to Mandy and her team. We got to do better with VC funding and get it allocated to more Black women and more women from underrepresented and underserved communities. 
If you want to see more of Mandy's story, watch her episode of the HubSpot for Startups and LinkedIn documentary series, Spiraling Up, The Journey to Becoming a Unicorn. It's streaming now, and I'll drop a link to it in the show notes so you can access it easily. Mandy is definitely a voice to tune into as the insights and approach she recommends can really help accelerate your path to creating an inclusive brand where everyone on the team feels like they belong. And of course, belonging is the goal. When you have a diverse and representative team who feels like they belong, you'll be well-equipped as a brand to make the customers you serve feel like they belong. Okay, so without further ado, let's get to my chat with Mandy. Hello, Mandy. Thanks so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for stopping by. Um, Before we get too in-depth into what we're going to chat about today, can you just let the people know who are you and what do you do? Sure. I'm the CEO of and co-founder of Canaries. So Canaries is a data-driven diversity, equity, inclusion company. We're really focused on providing the tools that organizations need to create long-term systemic change around diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging challenges. And so, you know, I kind of got into entrepreneurship. I don't want to say by accident, but because it's my passion and I've been doing work around diversity, equity, inclusion for a long time, but never thought that I'd be an entrepreneur. I actually practiced law uh, for 12 years before leaving uh, the partnership of my law firm to co-found Canary. So my interest in diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging began really early in my career when I helped to create the Division of Diversity and Community Engagement at UT Austin as an undergrad. Starting out in my career, I never imagined I'd be an entrepreneur. I went to law school uh, and kind of after my work at UT Austin, um, I kind of, like I said, I, I got involved with that work because uh, when I was a student on campus, uh, we had an MLK statute that was erected and the statute was egged all the time. So the president of the university put in place a racial respect and fairness task force. And I was one of the students that was appointed to that task force. That work led to the creation of the Division of Diversity and Community Engagement. And then from there, I went on to Harvard Law School and uh, did a lot of work at the Harvard Civil Rights Project. In uh, there, started to do more research around how organizations should be structured and set up to promote inclusion and equity. And so it was really from those experiences that really led me to, to uh, start and found Canaries, because not only the experiences that I had in the workplace, but the research and the background that I had that I knew that data really was the way that we could help advance diversity, equity, inclusion initiatives forward. Yeah. So I want to get more into um, the data and the kind of the ways in which um, you all are using data to help organizations advance. But I, before we do that, I want to just kind of talk more so about the state of DE&I within companies. Um, you know, and I think in recent years, we've seen a lot more companies express their commitment to diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, both internally as well as with the customers that they're serving. And, you know, they talked about building inclusive cultures, inclusive brands. But as we look at the data and even, you know, in recent months and maybe over the past year, we've seen more and more diversity positions being cut. It appears that not a ton of progress is being made, but we do know that there has been, at the same time, there has been progress being made. But from your perspective and your experience, why is it that so many organizations seem to be struggling with diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging work throughout their organizations? So 
I think when we talk about corporate leaders, right, which I want to want to differentiate from chief diversity officers, because chief diversity officers live in this field, understand the difference between diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Um, yeah. A lot of times, because we hear those words all together, um, people don't really understand that they mean very distinct and different things. Yeah. And so what we see as corporate leaders, and again, I don't mean chief diversity officers, have a blind spot when it comes to DEI and their whole focus is on diversity. Okay. And so it takes a lot of things to um, have a great, not only database approach to DEIB, but um, we have to have a holistic strategy. And so what we see is many organizations are really focused on the diversity component. That is actually the easiest part to measure. And so um, <laughs> because that is the easiest part to measure, uh, that is really where the focus is. And so what we've seen for many years is that the focus has been on uh, kind of talent acquisition, hiring, um, kind of measuring those components. And so we'll talk to organizations and they'll talk about, oh, yes, we have a database diversity, equity, inclusion approach. And, and you know, they're well-intentioned, so I don't mean it kind of, you know, in a tongue-in-cheek way, but what they're doing is literally just measuring who they've hired and looking at attrition, that they don't have a comprehensive diversity, equity, inclusion, uh, and belonging strategy. And so uh, I think that is why we've seen some organizations really struggle. That's why we haven't seen the strides that we'd like to see, because when we start to look at where is the budget, where are the resources, where is the overall strategy, your strategy can't be just on talent acquisition. This isn't something that you're going to hire your way out of, right? We got to have a focus on the entire structure of the organization. We have to actually look and ensure that we're measuring inclusion, equity, and belonging. You know, when we start to talk around those elements, I can tell you, I talk to a lot of corporate leaders that are not, again, chief diversity officers or chief people officers, and they say, how do we measure those things, right? Yeah. So there's, there's even this idea of, measuring those things are very foreign to them. And so uh, the I, that understanding idea, we can measure those things. We must measure those things in order to make progress. What happens is if we continue to just focus on diversity as our measurement goal and kind of this focus on hiring, we're going to keep seeing what we continue to see, which is the revolving door uh, of people come into the organization. The organization uh, has a lot of we call it areas of opportunity. That's like the way we like we have lots of areas of opportunity as it comes to inclusion and equity. And we see that same talent leave because talent doesn't want to stay somewhere where they don't feel included, where they don't feel like they belong. And then when they start to look throughout the organization and start to look at promotional opportunities, opportunities actually uh, for their ability to really make strides and have a long-term career prospects in that organization that they're not there, they don't stay. And so it's important that the organization really have a clear strategy behind not just diversity, but equity, inclusion, and belonging to ensure that they're seeing those diversity and those representation numbers that they want. For sure. And how, I guess, like you mentioned that you have to be able to measure those other things. How should people even go about figuring out like what, what are the things that they should be measuring within those other areas to know how they're measuring up or to just figure out what plans they need to be putting in place to sort of evolve their culture from where it may be right now? 
Yeah, no, it's a great question. And it's something that, you know, we spent the last five years pulling together assessments around inclusion, equity, and belonging. And not only assessments, but benchmarks, KPIs, and kind of things to ensure that companies can incorporate this into their company-wide performance reviews. Uh, We help organizations deploy self-ID campaigns, which really allow them to expand their DI metrics. You know, one of the things we saw, um, I know we were talking earlier around demographics, right, and diversity and the fact that organizations were measuring that. But I would say most organizations, even when we look at diversity, are still measuring just gender and race. That um, with the majority of the organizations we're working with, we're helping them deploy self-ID so that they can think of diversity and look at it from an intersectionality lens so that we can start to look at things around uh, LGBT, religion, disability, caregiver status, and ensure that we have holistic uh, policies and support systems in place to really understand these intersectionality factors and how they really affect the workforce. And so... As we start to think around how do you measure inclusion, equity, and belonging, I think one is understanding that it's different than an employee engagement uh, survey, because I can tell you a lot of times when we start to talk with companies, that's the immediate thing we hear is we already do an employee engagement survey. Measuring inclusion, equity, and belonging are not going to happen through an employee engagement survey. So kind of realizing and ensuring you have the right tools to start to measure those And understanding the importance of kind of doing this ongoing measurement, I think, is is one of the keys. So uh, I think as we start to think around, right, do we have the right measurement tools in place? Do we have the buy-in from the leadership, right? Because I know a lot of the things we were talking about earlier, we know that chief diversity officers or chief people officers may understand, right, uh, absolutely the need for these, but how do we ensure that uh, leadership teams overall really understand the importance of this? And I know there's a lot of reluctance to talk around the business case of, of DEI, especially because it's been shown for decades, but I do think it's important, right, that we are able to, especially during times of recessions or economic slowdowns, show the importance that during uh, any type of economic downturn, it's not the time to move away from DEI. It's the time to lean into it because of the financial benefits and the long-term benefits that it's shown to have within organizations. And so I think it's so important that companies and organizations really understand the ramifications that diversity, equity, inclusion has not only to their employees, um, but to their entire business operations. For sure. You said something that uh, a lot of companies are really only measuring gender and race. For those other dimensions of diversity, are are companies able to capture that through self-reporting? And if so, how have people been responding to that? Like, are they are, are people in general open to self-reporting that, that data around sexual orientation or... Um, religion or disability or other types of some things that, you know, could be helpful to the organization in supporting them? So we do all that through the Canaries platform. So um, we know that companies do it through a variety of different mechanisms. Some of them are capturing that within their HRIS systems right now. We actually advise companies not to do that, uh, to protect the anonymity of the employees. We do it in a way where we capture the information. We allow the company to be able to kind of filter down the information and be very granular so that they can have specific targeted interventions. That's really our goal 
is how do we produce actionable data that the company is able to act on that if we kind of keep operating in a, everyone's going to do an unconscious bias training, or we're just going to have Black History Month celebration or Women's History Month that we're never going to see the outcomes and the impact that we need because our um, solutions weren't precise and targeted to what was actually needed. And so what we do with our software and our technologies, we do deploy self-ID campaigns We allow companies to do that where we integrate with their HRIS system, but we just don't feed the data back into the HRIS. They're able to use the Canary's dashboards to then do that filtering, do that kind of analysis that they need, but then it's never tied back to the individual employee so that it protects their anonymity and provides them with that level of psychological safety as well. Yeah. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. Like trying to remember the name of that guy you just met at a networking event. Was it Ron? Or could it be Don? Or John? Or Sean? Yeah, that kind of impossible. HubSpot's all-new service hub can help. Well, with the service solution part, at least. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform, for the first time ever. With an AI-powered help desk and an AI chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs in a full 360 view of every customer so your go-to-market team can keep a pulse on accounts before trying to upsell or cross-sell. Also, you can scale support and drive retention and revenue. And you know what that means. Better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit HubSpot.com service to do more for your customers today. Um, as you've been going through and providing more data for some of the clients that you've worked with, it's, it's always interesting whenever you're looking at data, if you haven't had it before, the story that it tells and what it reveals for you. Have you seen any trends in um, what maybe people have been surprised about as they've been, um, you know, looking at their different data points, you know, things that they might not have been aware of before? You know, I wouldn't say that there's an overarching trend because every organization is unique. uh, And that's why I think it's so important that this kind of work and analysis is done. I will say the most uh, thing that we will usually see is a trend within their workforce, within a certain department, division, or geographic location, if that makes sense. Okay. So where we're able to really usually pretty early on determine and tell, okay, as we look at our workforce, this is where we really need to be focused. It might be sales. It might be marketing. Maybe it's not division focused. It might be, like we said, geographic location focused. But we're usually able pretty early on to pinpoint where we need to be targeted and focused in our approach. And so I think that is the kind of one overarching thing. I would say during the pandemic, we did see some trends really around mental health support. um, And we were able to uh, uh, really be, again, that early warning and that alert for our clients that were able to provide some additional support that they needed uh, and provide resources early on and ensure that they were providing kind of additional training for company leadership and supervisors and, and things of that nature to, to be aware of individuals that may be suffering burnout or having other challenges. And so I think being able to be that first alert 
allowed them to put in, in place not only those additional resources, but ensure that they trained uh, people managers what to do if they saw these signs of emotional distress or pandemic fatigue and encourage employees to start to use their vacation time. For sure, for sure. One of the things that I saw that your platform tracks and measures are metrics that are related to a company's suppliers. Now, a lot of times you'll start to see more brands thinking about supplier diversity and incorporating supplier diversity programs, which is always a good thing. But are there other things that brands should be considering beyond just the overall numbers and the makeup of the suppliers as they're thinking about, you know, inclusion and belonging overall from the partners that they're working with? Yeah. So what we do is we are encouraging, like you said, our companies to not just think about suppliers from an MBE and a supplier diversity, but to think around how do they incorporate kind of their DEI goals, mission, vision into their entire procurement process? So uh, we uh, help organizations do that uh, so that they can really understand as they're selecting any kind of vendors or suppliers or understanding their DEI goals and priorities as well. And so, you know, I think that that's really important um, because we know that companies want to be aligned just as we think of ESG overall with vendors, suppliers that share their same goals and priorities as it, as it uh, comes to ESG. Now, when we start to talk about diverse supplier spending, which I know is a little bit different, right? Looking at MBEs, I think it's really important that companies not only have a diverse supplier program, but they establish spending goals. So a lot of the research that we did, not only with the Metro Atlanta Chamber, but with the Dallas Regional Chamber and some of the other chambers we've worked with, is that companies may have supplier diversity programs, but they're not measuring or tracking how much they actually spend with diverse suppliers. So with anything, right, if we're not measuring or tracking it, we're not going to improve on it. (laughs) And so uh, if we have a program, it's important that we are actually, you know, tracking that over time and and tracking not only tier one vendors, but we also track down, down as we start to look at tier to vendors and suppliers as well. So we found that only um, when we did the Dallas Regional Chamber benchmarking that only 14% of participants had dollar goals or or percentage goals. So again, that's such a large deviation from the amount that actually um, have programs that that is an area where we could kind of see immediate benefits is actually having uh, companies really track their spend. Okay. Yeah. No, I can see a, a lot of times that uh, people probably don't even thinking about, I think people probably think that they need to be a larger company to have like a supplier diversity program, but that's not necessarily the case or to have core targets of percentages, you know, and these goals of how much you want to be able to spend with, with um, diverse suppliers. So it's helpful to think of it in that way of ways that you can actually make progress in that. Yeah. Well, like you said, I think a lot of times people do think they have to be a larger company, which is you know, um, we've given programs on how startups can embed DEIB, right, into their processes. And, and But even if we look at some of the research from MIT Sloan that looked at the Fortune 100, they said 85% of Fortune 100 companies had supplier diversity, but only 59% reported how much they sourced from diverse suppliers. Yeah. So that was unclear on if they just didn't want to report it or do they do they not track it? So, I mean, these are the largest companies within 
the nation, right? The Fortune 100, and we're still only seeing 49% of them, you know, reporting on how much they're actually uh, sourcing from their suppliers. Yeah, I saw, I was doing some research and I saw a company, they were talking about, oh, we want to spend $2 billion with um, diverse suppliers by the year 2025. And, you know, I was like, okay, that sounds like a really big number, but like what percentage of that, what what percentage is 2 billion of how much you spend overall? Is it 30%? Is it 2%? Is, you know what I mean? Like, cause yeah. the, those numbers matter. So it's, you know, the, um, just the actual number doesn't mean much if you don't have like the overall picture. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Have you ever found, because I think that probably for a lot of people, using data is is newer for them when it comes to diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Have you ever found that as people started to get any data and see, you know, like what the real picture is and what the data is telling them, that it's ever um, derailed their efforts or slowed their progress towards um, building an inclusive culture or just kind of, you know, slowed them down a little bit? Um, I've never heard... Uh, derail their efforts or slow them down. I've heard of people absolutely being afraid of knowing data, mm-hmm. but that is not changing the picture of what's happening within the organization. <laughs> it's not, uh, you know, so burying your head in the sand doesn't mean it's going to change what the weather is outside. And so I think it is much more, you know, what we've seen is that it's a we encourage organizations to really know the data and get ahead of it and be proactive instead of reactive. You know, one of our advisors, Steve Bucarati, was the chief diversity officer for Coca-Cola for many years, that came in shortly after they had their multi-million dollar um, racial discrimination suit, which is at the time the largest racial discrimination settlement, and talked around the importance, right? Um, he, uh, that's why we always love when Steve is able to, to kind of talk with us and be on webinars because he's the living proof of why it's important, right? To get ahead of this, to do the measurement, to do the ongoing measurement, because he came in place and had a very extensive measurement program that he put in place because not measuring, measuring is what led them, right? To have that I believe it was $123 million litigation. And then wow. the government came in and they were under government decrees that they didn't have to report out to the U.S. government, all these things. So that's where you don't want to be. So so right. not measuring, kind of burying your head in the sand and saying, we don't want to know what's going on or we don't want to know the data doesn't fundamentally change what's happening within your organization. And it really sets you up or the scenario of some type of class action lawsuit being brought against your organization. So how do you ensure that you are paying workers fairly, that there aren't any kind of pay disparities, that there aren't any kind of underlying issues, is to ensure that you're doing this measurement, to do the audits and the assessments, so that then you're able to proactively get ahead of any any type of issues. Definitely. So, so once people start measuring things, how often should they be evaluating their data or checking in on their data um, to just kind of get a pulse on how things are changing or moving over time? So it really depends on the data. Um, There's so many different data points that we measure and track. And I think that, you know, as we start to work with our clients and let them know to all the different things they should be measuring and tracking, because I think, again, it's this mind shift frame of measuring people 
to as we start to look at, okay, we're not just talking about pay equity, right? So we may only measure pay once a year, right? But when we start to think of all the different things that we measure and track, um, there's different cadence for different things. So we may look at some things only once a year. We may look at other things once every six months. So it really depends on this particular data point that we're looking at and how that uh, frequency needs to be measured. For sure. The cadence of it. Yeah. One other, there's, there's so many questions that I have for you. We can keep going. But um, before we wrap up, I did want to understand as you're looking at, I imagine there's a lot of data that you're capturing. How do you, or how would you recommend that people also incorporate data from conversations or more open-ended um, conversations that talk about more the experiences that people have so that they're connecting maybe the stories of the people that they're serving to the actual data and the story that the number the numbers are are, are telling as well. So we actually collect, and I want to make sure I understand your question, open-ended sentiment analysis as well. Okay. So um, that's where, like I said, usually it takes us kind of a while when we start talking to people around all the different data because they're like, oh, you guys are just like downloading our HRIS data. I'm like, no, that's not what we're doing. We do a whole bunch of data. Like any possible data you can think of, we probably collect it and track it and it's in our system. So um, we analyze and we, part of our assessment process is to roll out open-ended tax, um, kind of allow employees to kind of pull, you know, out their experiences, pull that mm-hmm. in open-ended text boxes. We have natural language processing that then analyzes that. And so that is distilled down within to our dashboards. Nice. I think you may have been talking about customers as well, right? People, uh, but I want to make sure I was understanding. Well, I was more so thinking about internally, but people have experiences from a customer standpoint as well. That could be I can imagine that was helpful as well, just to know that how customers experience the brand um, on the other side of things, because I think internal is the first starting point, um, but challenges that you may have internally are going to seep into the way in which you engage and interact with your customers as well. Yeah, no, um, so we don't do anything with customers, but your point, yes, internally, we absolutely look at open-ended text. We have natural language processing and we allow that kind of filtering and looking at it from that intersectionality basis so that we're able to isolate and say, these are the experiences that we're seeing reported from these groups and these departments, these divisions, all of that, so that we can really have a good sense of how employees' experiences are very different throughout the workforce. Sure. Where can people find you if they want to learn more? Because it sounds like you've got like just this really robust product that can help people. just transform the way they think about and make progress towards their their diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging goals? Sure. Uh, to lo- learn more about the work we're doing, you can follow along on our website at canaries.com. That is K-A-N-A-R-Y-S.com. Or you can follow us on social media at Canaries Inc. And that is Canaries Inc. All right. I will include all of that um, in the show notes so people can find it easily. Uh, Mandy, thanks so much for stopping by. Any parting words of wisdom for business leaders who want to use data to build an inclusive culture? Um, I think that, you know, uh, we are seeing right now a little bit of a political pushback is what we've seen. But I want to say that diversity, equity, inclusion is not political. (laughs) It is not only is having a diverse and inclusive workplace the right thing to do, but it makes business sense. 
Uh, when we think of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, it's ensuring that we are having uh, support systems in place to support employees and that we are having that kind of human-centric approach. And so I think it's so important that we ensure that companies really continue to invest in DEI and that we know that all the research has shown that companies that are more diverse are 36% more likely to have greater financial turns, more innovation, and that as we start to combine gender and racial diversity, uh, it accounts for 48% better financial performance. And so we know that, you know, as we look at kind of younger job seekers as well, that DI is something that is uh, increasingly important. And when we start to look at Gen Z, 83% of Gen Z candidates said a company's commitment to diversity and inclusion is one of the most important things they look at when choosing an employer. So I think uh, it's really important that organizations realize that having a strong DI program is essential to hiring and retaining top talent. And that as we look at the broader ESG reporting market, we're only seeing increased reporting from a global standpoint as we start to really see um, kind of ESG become a more important and integrated model uh, that's really being looked at at the board level. So I think it's really, really important that companies really start to put in place these measurement components that are going to be required for them from an ESG standpoint. For sure. Thanks so much, Mandy. Of course. Mandy had so many insights to share, and I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on what you'll do next to start taking a more data-driven approach to your diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging efforts so you can build an inclusive brand. Shoot me a message on LinkedIn or Instagram. I'd love to hear about your next steps. That's it for today's episode. If you want to go even deeper in your efforts to build an inclusive brand, I want to invite you to join the Inclusion and Marketing newsletter, where I share stories, news, and other insights and resources to help you attract and retain diverse customers and talent. Head to inclusionandmarketing.com to get signed up. I'll also have a link to it in the show notes so you can access it easily. Until next time, remember, everyone deserves to have a place where they belong. Let's use our individual and collective power to ensure more people feel like they do. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you soon.